Merry Christmas, everyone, and um, pray that you uh, uh, had a good morning so far. Yeah, I think we'll have a good morning the rest of the day. Following the service this morning, we have uh, pancakes and sausage and hot chocolate and juice and all kinds of stuff across the hall. And so you're all invited to stay and uh, have breakfast. And if you have your Bible this morning, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Matthew, chapter 1. Matthew, chapter 1. And again, as we look at this wonderful story where God stepped out of eternity into time and walked with man that he created, it's an incredible thought that for all of eternity, what was lost in the garden would ever be restored to man. Because we remember that when God created Adam and Eve, he'd come and walk with them in the cool of the evening. But when man sinned, it broke that fellowship. And so now, through Jesus Christ, once again, God is speaking directly to his people. And so as we look at this this morning, we're going to see the birth of Jesus, how important it was. We're going to look at a couple of other things, because at the same time, Jesus, Mary's uh, relative, was also pregnant with John the Baptist. And Zechariah was in the temple offering incense, and an angel appeared to him and told him that they were going to have a son, and he shall be called John. And Zechariah said, how can this be? We're old. And the angel said, because you didn't believe. You're going to not be able to speak until the baby is born and you shall call his name John. It was the father's responsibility to name the child. And so thinking that they would name the child after Zacharias, he motioned no because he still couldn't speak. They gave him something to write on and he wrote, his name shall be called John. And when that was presented, his tongue was loose and he once again could speak. And that's how John the Baptist got his name. Well, God has given every one of us a new name as well. And it's the father's responsibility to call his child and give him his name. You are called by God, his child. I like that about the Lord. You know, he just didn't save us and forget us. He saved us to work with us and help us through this life every day. And so if you have your Bible again, Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 18, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for sending your only son, Jesus, to this earth to die for us that we could spend eternity with you. And so now, as we look at this story, a little more than 2,000 years ago, how it still affects us today And you're the most notable person in all of history that was ever born in this world. And so we ask you now to bless your word to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. By the way, we only find the birth of Jesus in the book of Matthew and in the book of Luke. Mark and John do not go into the birth of Jesus because really Jesus was born to die. He came to be the ultimate sacrifice 
for all of us. Where the blood of bulls and goats, the animals in the Old Testament, sacrificial law, would never remove the sin. It could, best they could do would cover it. The Bible tells us here that Jesus came for a specific purpose. And so it says, the birth of Jesus was in this manner. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, they were engaged. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, was not wanting to make her a public example and was minded to put her away secretly. This is interesting because, you know, all the way through, when we look at the birth of Jesus, we always see Mary with Jesus. But Joseph somehow is the unsung hero in much of this as well. But Joseph was very important in the birth of Jesus. And last night we talked a little bit about this at the Christmas Eve surface. And I was going to share with everybody today the importance of Joseph in this family scene. Joseph was a good man. And Joseph, we find in the Bible, was in tune to God. A lot of people think, well, why was Joseph even in there? And in fact, why is in the Gospels, the lineage of Jesus, different in the two Gospels? Well, because one is the lineage of Mary, giving Jesus a blood right to be our Savior. And Joseph was the legal part of it, as he was a descendant of a king as well. And in those days, an adopted son could be counted as a king's son. And so Joseph, being a just man, not wanting to make Mary a public image, uh, he decided to put her away secretly. But God wasn't done. And notice it says... He was minded to put her away secretly. But when he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to Mary, your wife, for which she is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And he shall bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. You know, it's something interesting here as we look at this, and if you stop to think about it, who named Jesus? It was Joseph is the one who named him. Again, as we look at this, we find that was the father's responsibility. And going back to Zacharias concerning John the Baptist, instead of John the Baptist being named Zacharias the second. He said his name shall be called John. The father's responsibility was to name his child. Interestingly, Joseph did not put Mary away because he was a just man. I think if if you want to look at father images in the Bible, I think Joseph is probably one of the best father image descriptions that we find for a human being on this earth. Because a couple of things. First of all, Joseph remained married to Mary and raised Jesus, though not his blood child, you might say he took care of him as if he was his own. Friends, that's love. 
And in these days that we're reading about, if a woman was found pregnant and not married, generally that carried the death sentence. And so Joseph protected her and took care of her. It also tells me as the angel appeared to Joseph that Joseph had a sensitivity for the things of God and God spoke to him. And in fact, if we go over to verse 13, real quick, we'll come back. It says, now when they had departed, speaking of the wise men, it says, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, arise, take the young child, his mother, and flee to Egypt. And stay there until I bring word, for Herod will seek to kill uh, the baby's life. When he arose, he took the young child and his wife by night and departed for Egypt. couple of things. God spoke to Joseph in a dream saying, get out of town. He didn't lollygag around for a week. It says when he arose... He gathered and left. The man was obedient to God. And I look at this, interestingly enough, that if it wouldn't have been for the dedication of Joseph, we may not have Jesus the way we have him today in this world. Because Joseph was one who, first of all, didn't put Mary away. And then when the wise men went home a different way after they were being warned as well, Herod will seek the child's life. God spoke to Joseph and said, get up and go. And he went. How many times do we have command from God? Maybe concerning our personal lives, things God wants us to do or stop doing. And we go, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. Anything that I can put off the old saying, never do today what you can do tomorrow. Well, Joseph wasn't that kind of guy. And God spoke to him. He loaded up the truck and they took off for Egypt. Now, friends, I look at that as a very, very important part of understanding not only the life of Mary and Joseph, but the contributing factors in Jesus's life as well. You see, Jesus also had a good image of an earthly father. I know for many of you, maybe you didn't have a good earthly father. Maybe you had a father that would come home drunk or throw you against walls or never even came home at all and you never even knew your dad. Well, I got good news for you today. You have a father in heaven that loves you very much and wants to impart to you his principles in your life. And if you're a man who perhaps did not have a good father image, the great news is you have one that you can copy and pattern your life after in how God takes care of us and the illustrations of other men in the Bible who took care of their families in spite of difficulties. Let me tell you, this situation that Joseph was in concerning Mary, was not, you might say initially, a very pleasant situation. But he did not abandon her. He was a just man, the Bible says. And not only did he take care of her, but God continually spoke to him to give him direction for his family. If there's ever anything probably we need today for us men is direction for our families. 
Do you realize that mom and dad, you set the direction of which way your family, your children are going to go, your grandchildren are going to go? When you stop to think about the influence that you as an individual have in your family, as Joseph had in his How important it is because oftentimes life and death will hinge upon our decisions. And so when we stop to think about how Jesus came and how Joseph didn't call him Joseph Jr., but he called him Jesus exactly what the angel told him to call Jesus, it tells me a lot of, first of all, about the obedience of Joseph. And why he was a just man. And I believe today, and again, as we watch Hollywood continually degrade men, I've shared this many times before, but I believe it's because Hollywood does whatever it can do, controlled by the devil, to degrade men, degrade fathers. I don't care whether you look at Bart Simpson I don't care if you look at any of the other sitcoms that are on TV. The dad is always the stupidest one in the room. And why this 13-year-old kid is way smarter than his father as he shoots off his mouth. Why do you think Hollywood, i.e. controlled by Satan, is after destroying the father image? Isn't it interesting when Jesus said, when you pray, pray in this manner. Our Father, which art in heaven. You see, I think the devil really doesn't want people to realize they have a Father in heaven that genuinely loves them, that will genuinely watch over them and give them the direction that they need for their life in the days to come. You see, because again, the Father sets the direction of the family. The Father sets the direction of the children's life. And I believe, again, the attack from the enemy against, really against fathers, is to cause us not to have and understand how important dads really are, whether in heaven or here on this earth. Isn't it amazing that Jesus came and was born in a manger? You know, I would venture to say that probably not one of you had a lesser birth than Jesus did. I mean, even if you were in, born in a taxi cab, you're only minutes away from the hospital. Have you ever been around somebody that's quite wealthy or well-to-do or of some position? How oftentimes we have that feeling of inferiority. Well, you're a somebody and I'm a nobody. Well, I think we've all felt that. I certainly have been around different people in my life. I used to drive uh, an airport shuttle bus back and forth from uh, Whittier to LAX International Airport. And while I was there in the airport, oftentimes I would see famous people. You know, I would, Tom T. Hall, uh, uh, just some of the country western singers. I remember uh, uh, Al Green, uh, um, some of you know who he was. John Wayne, different people like that. And you just feel weird. You're like, oh, hey, I, 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 I've seen you on TV before. And you don't know what to say. And you feel weird. It's intimidation because we feel there is somebody and we're a nobody. And yet Jesus was born in a dirty manger 
which would intimidate no one. Every one of us was born in a better place than Jesus was. The first people that knew that Jesus had been born was, of course, announced to Nero and Herod and all the upper echelon, all the movie stars of the day. No, no, not at all. In fact, the first people that found that Jesus was born was the shepherds who tended their flocks by night. At the time of King David, shepherds were loved. But by the time of Jesus, shepherds were considered nomadic. They lived on the backside of the wilderness. And when it was said that shepherds were coming to town, as they would often do several times a year, to bring their flocks in, every door, every window was bolted down because shepherds were known for being thieves. They could steal and then disappear into the wilderness. And so oftentimes, people would announce, the shepherds are coming, the shepherds are coming. Not as something good, but as a warning. And who did Jesus pick to bring the message first to? The most notable? The richest? Those that had the cutest smile? No, it was to the people that oftentimes no one wants. You see, God never wanted to exclude anybody in this great message that he brought to people. And so he says, he will bring forth, she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will save the people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which the Lord spoke through the prophet saying, behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Which translated means God with us. That's who Jesus is. He's God. It's interesting today in the world, in fact, the Bible says everyone that says that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And if those that say Jesus Christ has not come in the flesh, they are not of God. What does that mean? That means if they say that Jesus Christ God came in the flesh, they're of God. And if they say that Jesus Christ is not God, they're not of Holy Spirit. It is interesting today, and oftentimes as we as Christians, and I, I like talking to people about the Lord. I'll talk to anybody about the Lord anywhere at any time. And if I hear somebody mention God's name in a conversation, I oftentimes will butt in and, and uh, really be uh, intrusive. That's Okay. And I'll walk up and say, oh, I heard you talking about God. What, what do you know about God? And, and just, just introduce myself, and, and not as a pastor, but just as somebody that is a kingdom seeker. And what's really amazing is that um, I found that in the cults, they use the same vernacular as we do as Christians. They'll use the word heavenly father, Jesus, heaven, hell, sin. They'll use those words. But as you really begin to examine it, they have completely definitions for those words. Something I have found in the cults, and you can always remember this, if you break into a conversation with somebody, if you want to get to the quick of the whole matter, you can just say, well, who is Jesus Christ? And the Bible says that he's Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. 
But if they answer and say something along the lines of, well, Jesus was a great prophet. Oh, uh, Jesus was one of the greats. There was Buddha, Muhammad, Jesus, you know. Uh, if you get into somebody in Middle Eastern religion, I'm Jesus, you're Jesus, we're all Jesus, cuckoo, cuckoo. You look at all the different ideas that people have. The Bible says his only son came to this earth. You see, it's only by the Holy Spirit do you recognize and know that Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. The cults always have one thing in common, two things in common, actually. Jesus Christ is not God. He's one of the greats. He's somebody else. He's a prophet. He's a good man. He's this, that, and the other. But he wasn't God. That's the first thing. Number two, they don't believe in hell. It is interesting that Jesus spoke 11 times in the Gospels about hell. It's a real place. Why did Jesus give up all the worship of heaven to become and come down to this earth and to be born in a dirty, stinky manger, live a sinless life for people that he loved, only to be crucified, spit upon, crown of thorns shoved on his head, laughed and ridiculed and spit upon? See, Hell is, I think, a lot more than we think. I think hell, uh, William Booth, who started the Salvation Army, you see their little bells ringing out in front of the stores, or at least you used to. He said every Christian should be dangled over hell for 15 minutes. It would change everybody's perception of eternity. When you stop to think about it for a minute, really... I believe heaven is a lot more than we know, but I also believe heaven, hell is a lot more than we believe as well. The Bible speaks of it, and Jesus did everything he could physically do to keep us all from that place. Not only did he come and was born, but he came to forgive us of our sins. And there's nothing any person needs more than your past forgiven. I shared this last night. There's a Randy Stonehill song that we play on the effects sometime. And the name of the song is Keep Me Running from the Sins I Can't Erase. It's interesting how we'll do that. And what we run to, we'll run to the bottle, we'll run to our bong, we'll run to everywhere we can go to try to escape this haunting of our past. This is what Jesus Christ came to do. The greatest gift of all is to give you and me a brand new you and me. That's what we need. You see, the Bible says God chooses to remember our sins no more. As far as the east is from the west. I like that about God. He wants to forget. The problem is we can't. And that's why our psych wards are filled with people whose past haunts them continually. Why they can't sleep at night because of the things that they have done. You see, the things you do, and this is what we somehow don't get as human beings. What you do, what you do becomes part of you. You understand what I'm saying? What you do becomes part of you. That's scary, isn't it? 
Think about the experiences that you've done. Think about the things that have cut those, those lines in your face. You begin to think about that and you go, God, wow, this is crazy. I need something to separate me from my past. You see, that separation is your sins being forgiven. And so it isn't just that our sins are forgiven, but it also makes in right relationship with God. This is what religion tries to do. Religion tries to offer, well, if you go out and sell flowers in an airport, go door to door, give all your money, dress in three-piece suits, and smile continually, recite church mantras and all the other things, you might make it. But Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, said, as a matter of fact, your sins are forgiven. This morning, there's nothing more than you and me need than our sins forgiven. Because the thing is, those things become part of you. Those bad things become part of you. You don't believe me? Think about the dreams you've had. Think about the guilt you've had. Think about the things that you see that sometimes on TV that you did just as you're watching it happen on TV and you're going, I remember when I did that. Isn't that weird that you still remember that? Because it became part of you. See, we don't realize what kind of spiritual beings we really are. Animals don't have a spirit like you do. Animals don't communicate like you do. You are created in God's image, which makes you uniquely different than any other creature on this earth. And without that ability to separate yourself from your past, the result is you have to carry it. Well, we can't carry it. It's too heavy. I'll just stay stoned. I'll just stay loaded. And we find all these self-help courses out there always treating the symptom, but never, ever treating the problem. The problem of separating yourself from your past. You can't. You can't do it. I can't do it. Religion can't do it. Only a belief in Jesus Christ as he becomes real and he becomes part of you now. Not the bad things in life, but now the good things that God puts in you. You have the direction you need from a father who loves you, who sets the direction for the rest of your life and the direction of your family for your life. That's why we need to be born again. Nicodemus was a religious guy in the time. One of the high-ranking religious people. He came to Jesus, the Bible says, by night in John chapter 3. Now, why he came at night, the Bible doesn't say. Maybe that's what time he got off work. Maybe he was too embarrassed to come in the daytime for fear people would see this high-ranking religious leader going to this Jesus who was born in a manger, asking questions about eternal life. And Jesus said to him, marvel not, I say to you, you must be born again. Because if we're not born again, our sins are retained. You know, the Bible says something interesting, the authority of the believer. The Bible says whatever sins you forgive are forgiven. And whatever sins are retained, they are retained. You say, well, wait a minute, what's that mean? 
That means by the authority of Jesus Christ, his word, if you accept Jesus Christ today, your sins are forgiven. You can make that declaration as a child of God. And you can also say, if you reject the message of Jesus Christ, your sins remain and remain part of you. Do you realize those sins that are part of you are destroying you? It affects the way you look at life. It affects the way you think. It's the way and how you set your values in life. And it also sets the direction for the rest of your life. Forgiveness from God is more than Jesus, thank you for forgiving my sins. It's that God changes your whole perspective and begins to root out that stuff that has destroyed you over the years. The free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You don't have to wait till you die to experience God's eternal life. You need that right now. You see, you need to replace those bad things in your life with God's good things. But you can't do it. But you can ask the one who can to do it for you. This morning, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, today's your day. Because God loves you. And he wants you to be blessed. As we finish this, it says, Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took him, uh, took uh, to him uh, her as his, his wife, and he did not know her till he brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. He did exactly what God told him to do and set the path for our Savior. You know, God's got a path for you, but you'll never know what it is because. Again, we have our past that's junked us up. This morning, if you're tired of it, you don't want another five years like you just had or another ten years like you just had, today's your day. Because, again, Emmanuel means God with us will change your life today. If you need to pray and get right with God this morning, we're going to pray. And we'll just ask God to do a miracle. To come into your life, forgive your sins, to root out the things of the past that don't belong, and set a new course for your life as a father truly does for those that he loves. And you as a man, that you would set that course for your family. Because that is the position that God has placed you in. And you will be blessed. This morning, if you need to pray, we're going to pray right now. And you can ask Christ to come into your life and to forgive you of your past. To root out that so it doesn't continue to do the damage that it does. A lot like a splinter in your hand. It's obnoxious, it hurts, and when you pick up something, you feel it poke you. But no, I ain't going to worry about it. I'll just let it go. And then pretty soon you notice it's getting red and getting oozy and you realize it's becoming infected. Oh, I won't do anything about it. I'll just let it go. As the infection spreads and your hand swells up the size of a baseball mitt. Oh, I'm not going to worry about that. Until pretty soon you start having 
terrible fever because you see that hand is dying and it's killing you. You see, there's a time to deal with sin. And that time is now. Let God deal with it. Do you know the Bible says it's not within any of us to live righteously? In other words, have you ever looked at your kids and said, can't you just be good? The honest answer is no. And they will look at you, and and I'm amazed at how children, I have these things. How they get good at excuses, and they think, you know, what's in your hand? Nothing. No, what's in the other hand? Nothing. Oh, I would have never figured that out. You go in the kitchen, what did you do? Nothing. They have chocolate all over their face. And you go in the kitchen and here's an open bag of cookies and the drawers are pulled out like stairs as they have worked their way up to the counter to get into them. What did you do? Nothing. That's the way as adults we get. God will say, what have you been doing? And we go, nothing, but the sin is all over us. Well, time for the big wash. You ready? If you need to get right with God, we're going to pray this morning. If you know you're distant from God, you know you're not on the course that God would have for you and for your family, we're going to pray that God will give you a complete new you and a complete front-end alignment because he loves you. If you need to pray, get right with God. Let's pray right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life this morning. I'm sorry I've lived my life without you and I've made foolish decisions. I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me and your blood covered my sins. And you rose from the dead to give me life. And so now fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me, God. And thank you for writing my name in your book of life. That I can spend eternity with you. And so now, take my life. I want to be about your business. In Jesus' name, amen.